0: Good evening all, let me have my welcome to you this evening, it's great to see you. As we come to part three of our three-part mini-series in sexuality, as we think about God's good design for our sexuality, and this evening we turn our attention to finding freedom in Christ, in a world obsessed with sexual orientation. And our focus this evening is going to be on the subject of homosexuality or same-sex attraction. Which I think is a better phrase that we'll come back to later. But why don't we begin by praying to God for help in this pretty sensitive subject. So let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are the creator of all things good. Thank you for the gifts that you give us to enjoy. Father, thank you that you've made this world in such a way for your people to enjoy it as they know you and understand you and live in the way that you designed for them. Father, we pray for your help this evening, that as we deal with this sensitive subject, Lord, would you help us to deal with it biblically and faithfully? Would you help us to think about what you have to say as our creator, as our Lord? Would our views fall in line with your views? But Lord, we pray as well that you'd help us to deal with this ever so sensitively, pastorally, wisely, Lord, knowing that maybe for people in this room, or indeed friends of people in this room, this will be a significant issue and struggle in their Christian walk. And so we pray that you'd help us to address it biblically and sensitively for your glory and for the good of your people. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Three quick uh, points of introduction before we begin to think about some of the biblical material and the first point is this we are all sexual beings sexuality is basic to our humanness god created sex and in the right parameters in god's good design sex is a good thing sexual activity is a good thing sexual expression is a good thing and sexual orientation is a good thing within the parameters that god has laid down for us So let's not begin this evening with a negative view. Sex is good, very good, within God's good design as he laid the world out to be. We are all sexual beings as we're sat here this evening, number one. Number two, and this is hugely important, we are all sexual sinners. Every single one of us is a sexual sinner. Total depravity declares that every single part of my being and your being has been contaminated by sin. For those of you who were here three or four weeks ago on a Sunday morning, Mark did a little illustration of accidentally dropping some poison into the cake mix and mixing it up. To understand that what sin does is it seeps into every single part of our life. And that's what happens, that every part of my being and your being is affected by sin, including our sexuality. So we'll all be broken in a whole range of different ways within this broad area of sexuality. So we've got to be very slow to to cast the first stone in judgment in this area because every single one of us is in need of God's forgiveness and God's wonderful grace because we are broken human beings in many ways. And the third point is this it's not a new issue. When we think about homosexuality, it's maybe in the foreground now and once it was in the background, but it's not a new issue. It's been around ever since the fall of mankind in Genesis 3. God deals with it specifically as early on as Genesis chapter 19. So it's not a new issue. It's been around for a long time, but the world has changed. Because in the last 40 to 50 years, what was once in the background is now in the foreground. And our nation, Great Britain, has become far more openly accepting of same-sex relationships to the point where if we stand faithfully and gently on biblical issues, we align ourselves with with what God says, then we'll get vilified as Christians. So that's the context which we speak into. Have a look at a little timeline here on the screen. I'm not going to read it through to you. Just read it for yourself to see how the landscape has changed in the last 40 or 50 years. It's mad, eh, isn't it? Less than 50 years ago, homosexual relationships and activity was a criminal offence. And in 50 years, it's come to the point where it's openly accepted and celebrated and become a normal part of our society the landscape has changed dramatically which means we as Christians have to be ready to engage both biblically we need to know what God has to say on this because it's a big subject and it's everywhere in our lives around us in front of us but we need to be able to engage very sensitively because this is a significant issue for many people hence the importance of this session and so the first question I want to ask with that landscape in mind is this, how has the church responded to an ever-changing landscape in this area? And I think it's responded primarily, I and mean, this is a generalisation, it's not per se long-crendon, the church corporally has responded probably in two ways. Number one, it's just stayed silent altogether. Ostrich, bury your head in your sand, pretend that things aren't happening, when in reality the world is changing around us and we've just ignored it, we've stayed silent, we've not had a voice, we've not engaged with people in the right way, we've, we've just avoided it altogether. Or number two, and maybe even more worryingly, we've just got swept along with the tide of current culture. We've just normalized it in our own lives as well. Either way, the voice of God has not been heard and it's not because God hasn't got a voice in this area it's not because God hasn't spoken he's spoken ever so clearly in the scriptures about his view in this particular area the reason why God has not been heard is because generally speaking as a church we have not engaged we have not looked to what the Bible says and we have not spoken openly and honestly and sensitively to the world about this big issue that is in front of our eyes there's a couple of pictures that will Come up on the screen here. This was was a pre-poll for the referendum in Northern Ireland a couple of months ago. I think the final numbers were a 62% vote in favour of same-sex marriage. That would have been unthinkable 15, 20 years ago. Flick on to the next slide. A couple of weeks ago, you maybe heard that uh, the Supreme Court in America... Enforce the legalization of same-sex marriage across every state in the U.S. And there we see the White House, the the seat of decision-making in the most powerful country in the world, illuminated with the rainbow colors which has now become symbolic of gay pride. You see, the people have had their say, right? The people have voted in Ireland. They've spoken up. Governments have had their say. They've enforced the laws. But God has not had his say. God's voice has not been heard in this subject. And so we need to get our Bibles open and we need to understand what the good creator of this world intended for humankind in terms of how we engage and interact with each other as men and women. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to turn our attention to the Bible and we're going to listen to what God has to say on this particular subject. One quick thing before we do, a helpful distinction to have in mind, and we may come back to this with the questions... I think there is a distinction between, well, there is a distinction between homosexual orientation and homosexual practice. That people's desires, our orientation, what we want, will be broken in a whole range of different ways. And as human beings, we're limited in terms of what we can do about our desires. Of course, we can pray to a gracious God that He aligns our desires with His in a whole range of different areas of life. But we're going to be thinking more primarily about the practice. Because we have a responsibility as believers, if indeed you are, are this evening, even if our desires are broken in different ways, that by God's grace we live in the way that God wants us to live. And we don't follow through broken desires into practice in the way that we live. So that's maybe something we'll come back to in the questions. But there is a distinction between orientation and practice. So let's get our Bibles open. You'll see on the screen... There's there's six passages, really, in the Scriptures that that deal explicitly with this subject of homosexuality. Three in the Old Testament, you'll see them there. Genesis 19, Judges 19, and a couple of other sections in Leviticus. And then three in the New Testament, Romans 1, 26 and 27, which I've highlighted, because I think that's probably the most comprehensive, and it's where we're going to spend a lot of our time this evening. And then 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy. But before we do go to some specific verses... I think here's a danger for us when we address any issue, whatever it is, that we jump straight to the New Testament for a quick one-line understanding of what God has to say on this particular subject. But I think more helpful before we come to Romans is to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. As we look at God's good design for the people of this world, how God set the world up to be, how he made men, how he made women and what God's good intention was for men and women to express themselves and their sexualities within God's world. So have your Bibles open at Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's going to be a pretty quick tour. Genesis chapter 1, you'll see there, verse 26 and 27, these are probably familiar verses to you. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds of the air, over the livestock, and all the animals. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Genesis chapter 1 is absolutely crystal clear that men and women are equal beings. Equal in worth, equal in value, equal in standing before God, both brilliantly and wonderfully made in the image of God. Men and women, Genesis 1, wreaks equality between men and women. When we come to Genesis chapter 2, It fleshes out that there is a distinction between men and women. Yes, men and women are equal, but God made men and women different. It's what we might call complementarianism, i.e. God made men and women to complement each other, to fit together, to work together in such a way that fulfills God's good mandate for this world, which was twofold, to be fruitful and multiply and to look after God's wonderful world. And God made men and women different and distinct to work and fit together for his good purposes. Come with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Look down at it there. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Before the creation of woman, there was one thing in creation that wasn't yet complete. It wasn't finished. Man was alone. Problem. If you're going to be fruitful and multiply this world, that's a big issue for you, man. You need someone to help you fulfill your mandates. And as we work forward in Genesis 2, God in his goodness provides a woman for man. Have a look at verse 22, 23. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Made of the same stuff, men and women, equal in God's sight, men and women, but made distinct. He didn't make another man for Adam, he made a woman. Two different beings to fit together, to complement each other, to work together for the good of God's people in this world. And it's in that context, have a look at verse 24 and 25, verse 24 primarily, that we have the first marriage look. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they will become one flesh. God creates men and women uniquely and wonderfully different so they might fit together. You see the three stages of it? A man leaves his father and mother. There's a leaving of that primary supporting relationship that we've grown up into. Then there is a cleaving. There is a coming together look. United to his wife. Man and woman commit to each other. Promise. the vows that you make on marriage, to be committed to each other for the rest of their life, then within that relationship, they will become one flesh. There is a coming together physically, a one fleshing together to seal the promise you've made before God between man and woman to commit to each other for life. That is God's good design. Sex and its rightful expression, God says in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, his design is to be between man and woman in a committed marriage relationship, which rules out everything else. Not just homosexuality, it rules out a whole host of things. There is a good design, man and woman, marriage, lifelong commitment, and sexual expression within that perfect union. That's how God set the world up to be. It is God's good design. And if we believe, if we believe God is good, we must believe that is good for his people. Because God knows what is best for his world to function. God's good design. Now as we jump to Romans, flick forward in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And I know the questions are probably coming, which is good, because that's why we've got a panel in a minute. I'm going to go through this quickly and I'm going to look briefly at what the Bible says. Then we've got to work hard at applying it, right? Into a whole range of different situations. God's good design. We've looked at Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Now let's come to Romans chapter 1. Which I've called God's good design reinforced because what Paul does here in Romans chapter 1 is take us back to God's good design in Genesis he doesn't say anything different he just reinforces what God has laid down already within creation have a look at verse 26 and 27 of chapter 1 because of this God gave them over to shameful lusts even their women exchanged natural sexual relations For unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Notice the context in verse 25. Do you see it there? The context is idolatry. Look. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised Amen. We have substituted God. We have worshipped other things other than God. The good things that he gives us, we have put those in the primacy place in our life and we have squeezed God out to one side. And do you see the consequence? you see how it links in verse 26? Because of this... Because of this idolatry, God gave them over to shameful lust. There is a giving over of God. God gives people over to continue to make choices and bear the fruits of those bad choices. Have a look back at verse 18 of chapter 1 as well. You see, there is a consequence for sin in the here and now. Look at verse 18. The wrath of God is present tense being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness there is a revelation of God's wrath in the here and now in the giving over God allows people to continue and make bad decisions and bear the fruits of those choices as well as Romans 2 verse 5 a future judgment a day when God's rightful wrath is being stored up for the unrepentant heart and you see how Paul explains that temporal judgment in the here and now. It's a giving overlook. Three times it comes up. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over. Verse 26, because of this God gave them over. Verse 28, halfway through, so God gave them over. And Paul doesn't just talk about sexual sin here. If you read down the rest of chapter 1, people continue in a whole range of different sins. Let's not just highlight this one has been something unique and worse than anything else it's not at all there's a whole range of sins that people continue in but in verse 26 and 27 Paul does deal with this issue of same-sex attraction if you like homosexuality look again at what he says and look at the language look at what people have done because of this God gave them over even their women exchanged natural sexual relations. Verse 27, in the same way the men also abandoned natural relations. There's one point supremely to make from Romans 1, and 27, and it's this. Homosexuality is not normal in the sense of it's not how God designed it to be. It's not how God set the world up to be. Do you see the language in there? Exchanged Women exchange natural sexual relations. We exchange the natural way that God designed it to be for an unnatural way. And we abandon. Look at the men there in verse 27. They abandoned. They got rid of the natural, good, God-given design that would bring joy to God's people. And we abandoned it and we chose something else which God did not want us to have. Which is not good for God's people. And I'm sure that brings up some immediate questions straight away. When I say, the language is there and it's not natural, we've exchanged what's natural. Because I know the immediate question, I've spoken to people on this, they say, well, it feels so natural, right? It feels so normal, it feels so right. And we can maybe deal with that in the questions, but in a very brief answer to that, it might feel right, but there's lots of things that we desire in life that are not right. Just because we feel it... It does not make it right because our orientation, our desires are broken in so many ways, right? There's loads of times we all want the wrong thing in life, yeah? We feel like that's what we should be doing. It doesn't make it right if we feel it. God says, this is the good way I set the world up to be. And the Apostle Paul reinforces that good design and says there is an intention for a right expression of sexuality between man and woman in that committed relationship together. Two other very brief points, and then I'll give you a little bit of a breather. Verse 27, homosexual sin is serious. Have a look at the second half. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error, like any other sin. If unrepented of, it receives a penalty from God homosexual sin is serious the Bible says it's serious so let's not just sweep it under the carpet and pretend that it's not but homosexual sin is not unique either can you see that in chapter 1 here's a big problem the church has had we've sort of elevated this as being the sin above any other sin it's not Human beings are broken in so many different ways and we are all broken. If you look inside your hearts, every one of us is a broken human being in a whole range of different ways. Homosexual sin is not unique. It's not worse than any other sin. It's just in a whole list of different ways that God's people are broken. So let's not elevate it to that. Let's not put in a place where it's meant to be. But let's, by God's goodness, seek to bring us all in line with God's good intention for this world. Not just in this area, but in every single area of life. I know I've thrown a lot at you in the last 15 minutes. Here's what we're going to do now. You're going to watch a video for four minutes, because I would like you to hear from somebody who, one, takes the Bible really seriously in this area, but number two, struggles with same-sex attraction itself. You're going to hear from Vaughan Roberts, who is a wonderful Bible teacher and pastor in Oxford at St. Ebbs Church, the rector there. And he speaks openly and honestly, from a biblical point of view, about his struggles in this particular area. So I hope what it does is speak from the point of view of someone that's really grappling with this and struggling with this himself, but is unwilling to budge from what the Bible says about God's good design. And hopefully, as well as being a bit of a breather, because I know you've been absorbing, it'll act as a bit of a bridge and a transition then to a couple of applications, and then we'll open it up to questions. So four or five minutes, just listen to someone who's there dealing with this for themselves right now. Let's watch the video. Good, thank you. Hopefully, hopefully really helpful, really helpful to hear from someone who, who wants to stand by what God says but he's dealing with a very real issue for himself. Before we come to the panel, I I listened to that the other day and there's two things I wanted to highlight that I just thought were really important. That I thought Vaughan pulled out really magnificently. And the first one is that our sexuality must never determine our identity. I thought that was so good. Which is why he actually uses the word same sex attraction. Because as soon as we say gay or homosexual, it's a label. That becomes our identity. And of course, as Christians, our identity isn't what we do, whether good or bad. Our identity is in what Christ has done for us. I'm a child of God because the Lord Jesus went to the cross to die for me and bring me into his family. That is my identity. I don't walk around and say, hey, Colin Wells, I'm greedy, and use that. I am greedy. But I don't define myself in that way. I'm Colin Wells and I'm a follower of Christ. And I'm broken a whole host of ways. But let's not use our performance or our our actions in any way to define who we are. We're defined by what Christ has done. So same-sex attraction, I think, is a very useful phrase to have in mind when we are thinking about this with Christians. That it's not their identity. It's just their struggle. And we've all got different struggles. And the second one... Jesus entered our brokenness to redeem this world it's the gospel isn't it we're all broken but if you're a Christian you believe in a wonderful savior who entered the brokenness of this world to redeem this world and make things right yeah so we believe as Christians God is redeeming people in this area and that doesn't necessarily mean that if this is a struggle for you or a friend that it will be dealt with like that this side of heaven. It may persist as a struggle. But we should pray that God would change the desires of our heart. We should, shouldn't we? This should be a massive prayer in every part of my life. God, please align my heart with yours. Help me to want what you want. Help me to prioritise what you prioritise. Bring my heart in line with yours. Pray that God would change the passions of our heart, that we would yearn for what he yearns for in life. But if that desire does remain till glory, when it will be gone, because we will be perfect in the twinkling of an eye, then we should pray that God and his goodness would give us enough grace and discipline to not follow through that desire and that orientation into practice. And we need to be brilliant as a church in this in helping each other, in being open and vulnerable and honest, that people can talk about their struggles, whether it's this or any other struggle, that we might rally around and help each other and point people back to the grace of God, that we might find strength in him to live as he wants us to live in this world. Jesus came to redeem us from all our brokenness and that's a wonderful truth where we rest in the end. I'm going to wrap up there but just the last thing to say I apologise if I've offended anybody I don't apologise for God I'm not apologising for what God says in his word, he made this world he's the ruler of this world and he knows what is best for this world, so I'm not going to apologise for what God says, but I do apologise if I've said anything in a way that isn't helpful or in a way that's not sensitive But I'm not apologising for God, because God's Word is what we need in every single part of our life. So why don't I pray, and then I'm going to hand over to Neil, who's going to introduce the panel. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you're a loving God, a good God. You made a brilliant world, and you made it for your people to enjoy Thank you that you know what is best for your people and you want your people to live in such a way that brings joy to them and brings glory to your name. And so as we take what you say about this particular subject and as we apply it, as we discuss it, as we ask questions of it now, Lord, I pray that in your goodness you would help us think these things through and apply them to our lives in such a way that we would honour you as your followers in your world and we pray it for jesus sake amen amen